0: Well, tonight we're starting a new series on the Gospel of Mark, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I got to tell you, for those that are joining and watching us online this evening, um, I'm so glad to be here with you. One of the men in our church told me this week that midweek service was his favorite service, how much he looked forward to that and being around and us sitting together and talking. But the Gospel of Mark, it's one of those Gospels, it's short, it's quick, it's fast, And it's also a great one of the reasons I wanted to do it. It's a great resource for you to do your family devotions with because each of the stories are in a short section, and you can tell the Bible stories to your children or your grandchildren from just a section at the time, and one of the key things to remember is in this gospel, it's all about Jesus in action, Jesus saving, Jesus forgiving, Jesus healing, Jesus doing miracles, and you also see how that Jesus, He draws His strength from His heavenly Father, and you can talk about that with your children and your grandchildren. Just a little background to the gospel of Mark. First of all, it's the oldest gospel, Most people don't know that. It's the oldest gospel in our Bible. Secondly, between Matthew and Luke, they quote almost every single verse that is in the book of Mark. And so it's the oldest recorded story. It's the first systematic gospel we have of the life of Jesus. A couple of things to know about the author, John Mark. John had a very shaky beginning in the ministry. And one of the things that from time to time that uh, when I was serving in this position of, of leadership was to helping young pastors, if they had a stumble, if they had some problems, helping them, you know, not give up. You know, we don't give up on people who fail. God doesn't give up on people who fail. Sometimes people want to do that. Well, John Mark, he had a really shaky beginning. If you remember, most people believe that the young man that fled from the garden along with the disciples, the unnamed young man, that that was Mark. He also decided it was just too tough being with the Apostle Paul, and he went back home. And Paul really had an issue with that. And Paul and his companion had a big falling out over that. And then later... John Mark and Paul would be restored. He would become an aide and a representative to Paul. But here's something you may not have known. The real mentor in in John Mark's life was the Apostle Peter. Peter was the one who referred to him, if you remember when we studied the, the, the epistles of Peter, he referred to Mark as his son. And Jesus and Peter would have told Mark all these stories that we're writing that are written down here tonight that we're looking at. The first mention we have of the gospel of Mark outside the Bible in secular literature was in A.D. 140. So if you figure that somewhere around A.D. 60, 70, that maybe Peter was martyred. Here you have at eighty one forty, we have the Gospel of Mark mentioned. Let me tell you just a little bit of what was said by the Bishop of Arapolis. Mark became Peter's interpreter, and he wrote accurately all that he remembered, but not necessarily in order, for he heard what Peter was preaching and teaching as necessity demanded, and he arranged them and left them for us in his Gospels. It's kind of like. I have preached from Daniel. I have preached from Revelation. I have preached from the book of Philippians to the book of John. Just whatever the situation demanded. And this is how John heard Peter teaching, like we read in his epistles, and he put that down for for us. Here's one of the things that I want you to remember. Because sometimes people come to me and they go, you know, I just, I can't believe God will forgive me. I failed. I started out in my Christian life john mark failed but john mark had a remarkable recovery didn't he he became a passionate follower of jesus christ and he not only became a passionate follower of jesus christ the holy spirit used this man that had a shaky beginning that failed to write the first gospel and put together the first systematic account of the life of jesus christ So I think that's just a marvelous background that if I just started preaching out of the book tonight, that we might forget. Now, Mark's also writing to a Roman audience. He's writing to encourage the Romans because Nero is persecuting them. And and so Mark is trying to help them see how Jesus... How Jesus prevailed. And if you notice, Mark doesn't write about himself. He writes about Jesus. He writes about Jesus in the present tense and Jesus moving. And the key verse to Mark is Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. That the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's look at the first few verses of the book of Mark tonight, and that's where we will begin. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What a fast, quick beginning. Did you notice he didn't begin with the birth of Did you notice he didn't begin like Luke and he didn't begin like Matthew with a a narrative of Jesus's line of descent. He didn't begin with the the beautiful birth story that we'll be looking at at Advent. He gets right down to business and he talks about the son of God because one of the titles that Caesar used about himself was son of God. It's interesting how that Pharaoh wanted to be worshipped as a god how Caesar wanted to be worshiped as a God. It's interesting how many people through life have come along to try to be worshiped as a God so everybody else would serve them. But he says the key verse of this whole book is that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. What a difference that we see here. I love the stories of great preachers. Obviously I would. I've collected those stories through the years. I told you a few weeks ago about how I got to preach out of the bedroom of John Knox, that great Presbyterian reformer in the nation of Scotland, over the Royal Mile. You've seen this week, if you've watched any of the Queen's funeral processions, I preached out of John Knox's house. They passed right by it, and I looked at back. I said, I preached right out of that window right there. They opened up the window and let me do it. And it was such a thrill to do that. But I, I want to be like Knox. I, I, I want to grow old and still have a fervency and a passion for preaching the gospel. When John Knox got so old and frail, they would literally carry him to the pulpit. Now, you got to remember those days they had pulpits that they walked up into and they had a sounding board above them. They would carry him up to the pulpit and they record of Knox that he beat his pulpit to pieces. Now, I've never beaten my pulpit to pieces, but I have broke a few wedding rings preaching when I got excited and slapped the pulpit or something with my left hand. So I'm in good company when I do that, okay? I love the story of how he, he, he stood up to Queen Mary, and he preached the gospel and just strongly preached it. His wife would tell him some nights, John, come to bed, and he would say to her, woman, I can't. He says, and he would pray, God, give me Scotland lest I die. And I pray that God will give you and I that same kind of passion as we read the gospel for our families, for our grandchildren, for our subdivisions, and for the communities that we live in. I love the story of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was preaching to Henry VIII, and he called out Henry VIII on some of his sins. And Henry VIII demanded that he preach the next week and apologize before all the court that gathered there. Latimer got up there the following Sunday to preach, and as Latimer began to preach the Word, it was obvious that he hadn't changed his mind. He got up and he says, says, Hugh, do you know who you're speaking to? And he says, yes, I'm speaking to the King who has the power to take my life or let me live. But, Hugh, do you know who else is listening to you? Yes, I know that God is listening to me and that God has given me this message. And God is the only one that can cast my soul into hell or let me into heaven. So, Hugh, I fear the Lord more than I fear King Henry. And he preached the same message with more energy and more passion than he preached before. I like that kind of boldness. I like that because I sense in that not defiance, but I sense in that a commitment to truth and a commitment to the gospel and to know that if you water it down, if you dilute it, if you, if you compromise it, then you lose the power of the truth that's able to set people free and save them from their sins. It's also interesting that Jesus said about John the Baptist. Now listen, because there's a reason I told you those two stories. Jesus said about John the Baptist that there hadn't been a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist at that time. And John the Baptist would give his life for preaching the Word of God because he would upset a king and he would upset a king's wife that he had unlawfully married. And she would demand his head on a platter. And the king showed incredible weakness and the king showed incredible cowardness is he let his wife force him to do what he knew was wrong to do, and that was to kill John. For John, like Latimer, and John, like Knox, and John, like I pray myself, will always be faithful to the truth of the word of the Lord. So this is a hugely, hugely important book because it starts with the ministry of John the Baptist. But it also starts with something. John's message in Mark's gospel starts in a way that's going to take us back. He gives us three beginnings. He gives us three beginnings. These beginnings, when he starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning, he starts before time. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, right there in John 1, 1, if you want to circle that, that little phrase in the beginning, we're talking about time before it ever began. This is before the creation of the heavens and earth. And then we move from eternity into time, from eternity into time, Because we go to Genesis 1-1, where in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This little short phrase, in the beginning, Mark is calling the people back to the very beginning, not just of the gospel, but why there was a gospel. Do you remember Sunday morning when I took great pains to say, the gospel is not good news unless we understand Why Jesus died at Calvary for us. Yes, we're far worse sinners than we've ever imagined, but we are far more loved than we ever imagined. So he's showing us three beginnings here. He's showing us what happened before time began. He's showing us what happened when time began. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In other words, he's saying this story has to do with creation. Jesus, the uncreated one, existed before time. Jesus, the uncreated one, was there when time was created, when God said, let us make man in our image. And then, of course, the third beginning is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and this is God's mission. Now, this is important. God has a mission, not because God has to have a mission, but because God wants to have a mission. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, This is God's mission to save lost people. Now, I have a mission. This church has a mission. And our mission is given to us by the word of the Lord. But God had no mission. God took a mission. God decided to save us. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just show you a really interesting parallel. And we won't have time to get to it tonight. In the beginning, right after the creation story, what happened? Adam and Eve were deceived by the devil and they fell. They sinned, right? They were tempted by the devil. What happens right after the baptism of Jesus? The second Adam. He's tempted by the devil. So you see this there's this there's this very smart, and I don't want to use the word clever because that sounds like deceitfulness. There's this very smart, there's this very creative way of beginning the gospel because what John is saying, excuse me, what Mark is saying here, and John will bring out in his message, is in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, but decreation began because of our sin. Our bodies began to fail. Our bodies began to age. Trees began to die. Animals began to devour one. That was not the way it was in the beginning. But when sin entered into the world, then suddenly labor in the garden, the Lord says the ground will have will thorns, bear thorns. You, you will earn your living by the sweat of your brow. A woman will bring children into the world through intense labor. There's a decreation taking place. But what does Jesus bring into being? A new creation. When we're born again, all things have passed away and all things have begun new. And Mark begins to bring all of this together in the preaching and teaching of Jesus, but also in John the Baptist, because he's going to immediately quote two prophets. He's going to quote the prophet Isaiah, which we've looked at before. Isaiah is the gospel in a nutshell. But he's also going to quote the prophet Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet There had been 400 years of silence until all of a sudden John the Baptist came preaching. So this whole gospel of Mark is going to go from Genesis to Malachi, from Abraham to Isaac, from Jacob to Moses. It's going to go from the kings all the way to the prophets and from the prophets all the way to the beginning of the gospel. And in doing so, what we're going to see is that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, remember, he's preaching this to Christians in Rome that are being persecuted. I think it's one of the reasons it's so fast. I think it's one of the reasons, there are more miracles recorded in Mark than in any other book of the Bible. And it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. So if you'll look, I think this quote is in your outline that I wanna share from you. Alexander McLaren was a pastor in the late 1800s. The bare facts without the exhibition of their purpose and meaning are no more a gospel than any other story of a death would be. Now, remember, gospel means good news. The facts with any lore explanation of their meaning are no gospel, any more than the story of the death of Socrates or any innocent martyr would be. In other words, the story of Jesus dying for our sins would not be a story unless you understood the background and why he died. If you would know the good news that will lift your heavy heart from sorrow, Break your chains of sin that will put music into your life and make your days blaze into brightness. You must take the fact with its meaning and find your gospel in the life and death of him who is more example and more than martyr. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Gospels. Excuse me, according to the Scriptures. Isn't that powerful? When we understand why Jesus died, and sometimes you'll see a story around Easter time or Christmas time about the life of Jesus. And they don't necessarily deal with why Jesus died. They talk about the political systems. They talk about his life. They talk about his teachings. But that's not the gospel. And, you know, I, from all I've read, the queen evidently was a, was a passionate follower of Christ. But uh, she made a statement, said that I was listening to in the, with Becky in the car, She said, I tried to live my life according to the teachings of Jesus, and that's good. We should all live our lives according to the teachings of Jesus, but don't miss this. It's not the teachings of Jesus that save us. It was the death of Christ at Calvary and his resurrection again. It was the shedding of his blood, and that's what McLaren is getting at. We need more than the teachings of Jesus. A lot of people like the teachings of Jesus. But to say that I'm a sinner in need of grace, that's another story altogether. The second thing I want you to see in our beginning of this tonight is God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Mark chapter 1 and verse 2, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now, the reason I think that is so powerful, it's not only quoting those promises, but God was revealing his plans hundreds of years before Christ was ever born. Christ began, God began revealing his plan all the way back in Genesis when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And when he does, look at this passage. He's going to be one crying in the wilderness. The wilderness is where God rescues his people. The wilderness is a place that we can get our focus back on God. You know, I, I get up early in the morning because it's the least distracted time of the day for me. And I put my phone on, do not disturb. There are people that can get a hold of me if they need to i just i need that distraction but when we're surrounded by our jobs when we're surrounded by computers when we're surrounded by televisions when our phones are constantly beeping and chirping at us facebook is chirping at us twitter is chirping at us we're getting text messages and it's like that it's very hard to hear the voice of the lord when you're distracted by everything that's going on in the world and so the wilderness john is going to be in the wilderness preaching The wilderness is a place where people can focus on God. But the wilderness is also something else. I'm not a camper. I prefer a hotel room to a tent. Laugh if you'd like. I prefer a hot shower than going down to a shower house and bathing with a bunch of people I don't know. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I prefer the luxury of a hotel room. It doesn't have to be a fancy hotel room. It just needs to be a private hotel room and a clean hotel room. Here's my point. The wilderness, you're leaving the luxury. And my, how the politicians and how the priests, according to the gospels, they love the luxuries of their palaces, and they love the luxuries of their homes, and they even gouge the people of God on sacrifices and money exchange, trying to profit themselves, and religion had become a business. You see, the prophecy also... Is, is, is fulfilled in the fact that in the wilderness, God meets His people. In the wilderness, God provides for His people. He provides manna. He provides quail. In the wilderness, God protects His people. But sometimes we all go through a personal wilderness where we're discouraged. Maybe we're sick. Maybe we're challenged. And if you'll just take it from me as a pastor, with, over, with 50 years of preaching the gospel... The people who tell me the greatest stories about faith in their life, they're not the stories where God met them in the luxuries of life. It's where God met them in the wilderness of life. And could you say that about your life as well tonight? Of course. God meets us. I've seen people come to Christ during wilderness experiences. I've seen people heal during wilderness experiences. Story after story. There's a reason that God brings His people sometimes in the wilderness. Now, how do we prepare the way? John the Baptist is going to prepare the way. We prepare the way by correcting misconceptions and explaining our need for forgiveness. I mean, this is why that as, as John listened to as John Mark listened to to Peter, Peter has been taught by Jesus, and he's explaining away the misconceptions remember how the Jews couldn't recognize the Messiah I, sh- I shouldn't say the Jews how that the priests and the religious leaders because the early churches we looked at just a few it was a Jewish church it wasn't until the the, the the persecution broke out and the church began to leave and went to Antioch that Jewish people began to be reached for the gospel so many Jews did believe in the Lord but here's the key factor I want you to see they had misconceptions about what the Lord would be not the suffering servant. It was their plainest day in the book of Isaiah. It was there for them to see. But sometimes we make the same mistake. There's an American Jesus. There's an African Jesus. There's a Republican Jesus. There's a Democratic Jesus. You know, I, I could go on with all the Jesuses that I hear about that people claim Jesus to support their agenda, we want to follow the Christ of the scriptures. But we also want people to understand why it is so important that we have forgiveness of our sins. I took a friend of mine with me to church in California one time. And we walked out of the church service, and he was infuriated. He's not a Christian, and um, I do, I think the world of him. But he walked out infuriated because he felt insulted that he needed to ask Christ to forgive him of his sins. And boy, we had a, I just listened to him go on to a tirade in the parking lot. We got into the car, agreed not to talk about it anymore. Much later in life, he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. But the idea that he needed to have forgiveness and that Jesus had died because of his sin was so offensive to him. Now stop and think about that for a moment. You're good people. I love you, and I like you. I, 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 I believe I'm a good man. But if Christ did not die for my sin, there would be no hope for me. And what John is preaching to Jewish people, and if you remember, I, I used this as an illustration not a few, not too long ago, when I was able to have a meeting with Simone Perez, as press secretary, when he said, "I don't need to be born again. I'm already chosen." And we looked at why Saul was rejected and David was accepted, even both, though they were both guilty of great sins. Thank God Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Can you say amen to that? So it's so important. Number three, what I want us to do in this message or in this, this particular message tonight is like John the Baptist. Let's ask God to make us persuasive messengers of the good news. Make us persuasive messengers of the good news. And you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. I don't want to be an abrasive preacher. I want to be an honest preacher. As a matter of fact, last night, I I love to play Wordle. I go home in the evening and I played Wordle. I got it in two according to Wordle last night. But I told my wife, I said, I really got it in three because I started out with a word called April. And it rejected it and says, that's not in Wordle's word list. And Becky said that was because it's a proper noun. So I went to my next word and then I've got the right word. And just in case you haven't done it yet, I I, I got the right word. And so it showed it in two. And I told my wife, I said, look, I got it in two. And she looked at that. She said, congrats. And I felt so bad. I said, really, it took me three times. It took three times, you know, because my first word was rejected. See, so Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying this: that our lives are persuasive not only because we're, we're polite and we're kind, but when there's this authenticity of integrity, which is outer and inner wholeness, inner outer and inner synchronicity. Let's look at verse four through five. John appeared. Now, those two words, "John appeared," circle that in your outline. That sums up his life. Remember how the prophecy of of his birth was given to Zechariah and Elizabeth. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, I give God thanks almost every single day where I believe he strategically placed our church. We have condominiums on the other side of us. We have beautiful subdivisions across the street from us. We have hundreds of people who live in two subdivisions behind us. We're at a crossroads. Right across the street is Woodhaven. Right behind us is right on the board of our property is Flat Rock. And then we sit in the township of Brownstown. I walk through the subdivisions doing prayer walks, praying, because we're in some people. Hundreds and hundreds of people pass our church every day. I give him thanks for that ginormous sign with its beautiful marquee that. One, somebody told us says, before Woodhaven put up their new sign, Woodhaven High School says, we could see your sign the moment we turned on Van Horn. I, I thank God for that. We're in a strategic place. It's easy. I had lunch with someone today. says, you know, one of the things I love about our church is I can walk to church. And they walk to church almost every Sunday. I like that we're strategically located. Nobody wants to build the church in the boondocks. But that's where John went to preach. And he went to the wilderness to preach, and the crowds came into the wilderness to hear him. People are not as easily deceived as you think they are. When God is moving, people come. Do you remember during the height of COVID? We had neighbors from this condo association, neighbors from this condo association with people walking. We had people helping us break down and put up that didn't even go to church, break down and put up all of our equipment that we had outside during the height of the pandemic. I mean, I would they would be out there just pouring sweat and lifting all those heavy stages and equipment. And I was so thankful they were there. We're in a good place. But people went to the wilderness and what did they do? They went out there and they confessed their sin why did they do it if you want to be a persuasive messenger let me give you 3 tips that i take from the life of john the baptist live a life of self control live a life of self control it would have been easy for john to market his success but the bible says instead he lived very counterculturally he lived radically different he adopted the dress of a famous prophet Do you know who he adopted the dress of? Elijah. Now I'm gonna tell you, I love honey, but I don't want to eat no grasshoppers. And as long as there's a quarter pounder, I won't be eating a a grasshopper. But John lived a life of of extreme self-control. Secondly, John was a selflessly unambitious man. He had selfless ambition. In other words, he said that Christ must increase and I must decrease. He must become less and less. And the third thing about John is he embodied the message of repentance. He embodied the message. Let me tell you something. One of some of the greatest dangers done to the message of Christ is when people t- preach about Jesus and they don't follow the teachings of Jesus. Okay, now there's a place for the teaching. We're saved by grace. But once we're saved, God changes us so that we can and he inhabits us so that we can live and follow him. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. And then the fourth thing, and I borrowed this word from a commentator. I can't remember which one, but ask God to drench us with his Holy Spirit. When I read that word that he used for baptize, we, of course, we know, we talk about it a lot around here. We baptize by immersion. To, to baptize is to immerse into water. It's not to sprinkle. We don't want a sprinkle of the Holy Spirit. And when we baptize in water, we, we don't sprinkle. We baptize people the way that John baptized, and the way that Jesus was baptized, and the way that the Ethiopian unit was baptized. We immerse them into water. But when you come out of the water, you're soaking wet. You're drenched, right? One of the ladies in our church who didn't want to get baptized said, I don't want everybody to see me soaking wet and without my makeup. You don't know how I look without my makeup. And I said, can you imagine how Jesus looked hanging on the cross of Calvary, naked, bleeding and wounded for your sins, and you're worried about your makeup and what we may think about you? That's not fair, she said. <laughs> but let's think about it. Ask God to drench us baptize us, soak us with this Holy Spirit. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you why I believe that is so important. Because to live an effective Christian life, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. And there's more to it than just being saved, than just following the teachings of Jesus. There's a personal relationship for Christ, the hope of glory, comes to dwell in us by His Holy Spirit. And He does more than just dwell in our hearts by faith. He drenches us. He soaks us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? Oh, I can't wait. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism. So join me in prayer, would you? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful gospel. Thank you for all the miracles we're going to look at. Thank you for all of the action we're going to see. And I pray that you'll help us to see how we can take John's, John Mark's message, Lord, of the gospel of the good news of Christ and live it out each and every day of our life. For it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today for woodland church and our youtube channel i hope you'll take a moment click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted we're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on we want to share those with you and we hope they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.